0: Uh, And as Alana said, we are in the middle of a series uh, looking at this book, this letter written by the Apostle Peter to the church. Uh, It's called Sojourners. Uh, That's our series title. And we're going to see particularly why that is called uh, that today. And the big question that that Peter answers throughout this letter, but in particular, our text this morning uh, raises is how do we live as Christians in the world? You got that? That's the big question we're looking at this morning. How do we live as Christians in this world that is changing, crumbling, and crying? So as we look at uh, the Word, we're going to see three things in response to this question. Firstly, we need to remember our identity. We need to remember our identity. Who am I? And that's a question that, you know, many people of this generation struggling with we're trying to fit in psychologist and prominent author dr lee chapolsky he said this essentially what the most important question we can ever ask ourselves is this who am i who are we all what do we share and what is our purpose here how do we discover meaning where's this crowd of people that will accept me who are my friends now, we, we try to find a group of people that we can agree with and belong to and fit in with. Uh, maybe we even want to develop a, a sort of persona, a brand for ourselves online. This question of who I am, it, it, who am I? It, it, it's a question we wrestle with in all sorts of ways. And it can often lead us paralyzed on this journey of self-discovery, wonderlust, and FOMO. Well, here's some good news. Church, you ready for some good news this morning? Jesus has an answer to our identity problem. Jesus, he offers something deeper, you know, deeper than even race, culture, gender, socioeconomic status, interest group. Jesus, he offers us himself. As Christians, and we saw this if uh, you with us last week, we are a chosen people, a people brought out of darkness and into light. Friends, this is good news. It's not because we're better than others. We are just recipients of His mercy. You uh, know, as, as we saw last week, we are priests. We are priests. Uh, we we get the privilege of heralding this gift that we've been given to the world. Doesn't mean we're extra spiritual, religious people, but we're priests. We're to point people to God to offer spiritual sacrifices in view of what God has done. In giving us Jesus, we are to live as living sacrifices. But in particular, what does this passage this morning say? Well, uh, open up your Bible again. Keep it open to verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Friends, this is who we are. This is who a Christian is, a sojourner an exile, a sojourner, you know, a sojo. Well, what is that? Well, it's a stranger. It's a foreigner. It's one who lives somewhere else, but it's just sort of passing through for a while. You know, it's like the international student who comes out for a semester. You know, they don't plan on staying. This isn't their true home. But, you know, they're getting a qualification. They're working hard for a season that they can use that in their home country it's like the grey nomad who goes on the caravan trip around Australia. You know, they might stop in in Airlie Beach, um, somewhere nice. I don't know if it's raining up there, but that's not where they belong. They just stop there for a season. In the same way, we don't belong here. We don't belong here. City on a hill, you don't belong here. You know, welcome to church. Welcome to Zoom church. I've got a message for you. You don't belong here. Of course, you're welcome here. We're so glad that you found us here, particularly uh, this weekend, particularly on Zoom. And a special warm welcome if it's one of your first few times here. So glad that you're here. But us in Brisbane, in Australia, wherever on earth we're dialing in from, this is not your true home. Where is our true home? Well, we saw that back in chapter one, flick back. chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. Peter says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you're a Christian, if you trust in Jesus' death for your sins and his resurrection for your new life, it means that your home is not here. It's in heaven. God has given you an inheritance. Now, like, I don't know what you uh, uh, want on your grave. I don't know if you ever thought about this at all, but I don't know if this uh, picture will come up, but I reckon this is pretty cool. Gone home. Gone home. There we go. It's come up. How good. Gone home. I love that. I love the simplicity of that statement. Sierra, if you're, if you're tuning in uh, in the other room, write that down if something happens to me. Going home. You know, some of us, we're, we're trying to crack into the Brisbane property market. You know, good luck. Um, you know, maybe you're waiting for a rich relative to, you know, help out a little bit. You're not praying that the Lord takes them, but at the same time, you know, I would be, uh, yeah. Friends, you've got an inheritance that's way better than that. You have a slice of heaven. You have an estate, a title that is not going away. You get to be there forever. The apostle Paul, uh, he describes our homes, uh, which are sort of under attack right now. Our homes are like tents, passing, you know, we're just passing through this world. We need perspective that we are citizens, not of here, but of heaven. And so, with that identity in mind, we need to live as heavenly people, people that have been recipients of God's mercy, changed by the love of Jesus. And so, what does that look like? We'll keep reading uh, verse 11 again. As sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. You know, there's a real war going on across the world. Let's keep praying. For Europe and other places as well, but there's an unseen spiritual war closer to home. We are up against our sin, our desire to to give in to the passions of our flesh. Wage war against our soul, as the late theologian Pastor R.C. Sproul said, the great triad of enemies for Christian growth contain the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. This war, its though as our sinful nature is trying to invade us and take ownership of us. We've already been bought. We've been won by Jesus. We belong to him, to the king. But, friends, there's a battle. Satan, he's trying to get a foothold. The world tries to tempt us. But we're not innocent bystanders but uh, that belong you know, to the world or the devil. It's our sinful flesh. It's our self. It's our own responsibility. It wages war against our nature that's been bought by Christ. And so what are these passions of the flesh? Well, typically, you can put them under three categories, sex, money, and power. It's really anything that we indulge in, anything that we lust after. What's the thing that you say to yourself? If only I had this, then I'd be happy. It could be something in the moment, uh, whether it's looking at porn, whether it's getting drunk, even impulse buying, but it can also be a deeper, slower desire, something more pervasive. The desire to be in a relationship with someone means that you compromise your Christian identity in order to get there. Your desire to be successful at work means you cut corners or downplay strengths or overplay your So downplay weaknesses or overplay your strengths. Your desire to look good in front of others mean you present yourself a certain way on social media. What are we to do? We're to abstain. Where to back off, flee, get out. How do we do this? Well, not by focusing on our sin, but focusing on our saviour who set us free. Remember that we're saved sojourners. Uh, English 19th century pastor J.C. Ryle, uh, he said this, the world, the flesh, and the devil can never overwhelm the weakest person who sets their face towards God. The world, the flesh, the devil can never overwhelm the weakest person who sets their face towards God. So it's not about us trying to muster up strength and trying to fight the battle. The battle's already been won. You are victorious in Christ. Look to him who died on the cross to pay for your sin and raised to life. We've been given this new identity, not as a citizen, but of a sojourner of a new world. And so at 11 p.m. tonight, when you're scrolling on Instagram, say to yourself, you don't belong here. When you're looking around and you're envious of your neighbor's renos, remember, you don't belong here. You're a sojourner. You don't belong here. Your home's in heaven. And so firstly, How do we as Christians live in this world? We need to remember our identity. Remember our identity. Secondly, point two, we respect human authority. Respect human authority. We're not of the world, but we're still in the world. Uh, if you go camping, I know some of you went camping this weekend, what weekend to pick? Um, you know, if you went camping, uh, you might not plant a tree in the campsite. Like that would be a sort of a, a weird thing to do, but you'd probably respect the campground. You know, you'd pick up rubbish, put out fires, that sort of thing. You know, as sojourners, uh, even though we're, our citizenship is in heaven, we still have to interact and deal with the world. And so, who do we respect? Uh, This authority. Well, there's a general and then there's a particular. At one level, we respect all humanity. Everyone has human autonomy and authority. And in verse 17, it says, honour everyone. Why do we honour everyone? Well, everyone, you, are uniquely made in God's image. Everyone, regardless of colour or creed, has been given dignity and worth by their creator. And even more than that, humans have actually been given authority by God. You know, it's not the the bin chickens that are running the world. It's us, it's humans. We're the ones who've been given authority by God to steward, to have dominion over creation. You can read about that in Genesis 1 and 2. This is the order that God has set up. And we see it again, uh, the call to honor in verse 12. 1 Peter 2, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Who are the Gentiles? Uh, literally, it means the nations, those who are in this world that are outside the people of God. It's not making so much a Jew Gentile distinction, but it's those who are not Christians, those who are not part of the people of God. See, the church, we have to live in the world and to honor those around us, those we disagree with morally, maybe politically. Those who have other religions, even those who are atheists, we're to respect and honor them. Why? Well, keep reading verse 12. We're to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We're to live with honorable conduct so that there wouldn't be barriers between us and the gospel. Uh, Commentator Karen Jobes, she says this, uh, the challenge Peter presents to the thoughtful Christians is to live by the good values of society that are consistent with Christian values and to reject those that are not, thereby maintaining one's distinctive Christian identity. As Christians living in the world, we can agree to a whole bunch of stuff. The kind of principle of love your neighbor is sort of generally accepted uh, in Brisbane, in Australia. We can accept a whole bunch of Australian values. At the same time, we're also called to live distinctly and reject those that aren't. And ultimately, we do this. Why? So that people that witness us would glorify God, that they would turn and trust in Jesus. You know, Jesus, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, we looked at this uh, last year, he said something similar. After calling his people a city on a hill, which, by the way, is where we get our name as a church from, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christians are called to live in the world, letting our good deeds shine so that ultimately our lives will look different and that people might give glory to God, that people might come to know Jesus. There's a quote, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this quote before. It says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's sometimes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And there's something helpful about that, but at the same time, there's also something unhelpful. See, people don't just become Christians simply by watching other people love on them. People actually need to hear the gospel and believe in it, put their trust in it, uh, put their trust in, in Jesus, uh, not just a set of good behavior. Paul in Romans 10 uh, says that faith comes through hearing. And he raised the question how can someone believe in someone they haven't heard of? Uh, but we had to live in a way that demands a gospel explanation. How we live really matters. Uh, Aussie research company, MacRindle, uh, a couple of years ago, they surveyed over a 1,000 Australians on the issue of faith and belief. And you know what the number one attractor to religion and spirituality, this is people that aren't religious. What's the number one thing that kind of draws them in? It's seeing people live out a genuine faith. Uh, in fact, uh, they were surveyed um the three. I surveyed a bunch of words that they would used to describe Christians. And do you know what the top three words? What do you reckon the top three words that Australians, uh, non-Christian Australians, you, were used to describe Christians? Well, it was actually positive. It was caring, loving, and kind. How about that? Caring, loving, and kind. Pretty good. That's pretty good. Let, let's give ourselves a pat on the back for that. That sounds pretty good. Well, actually, sadly as well, amongst the top ten, there were also some not-so-good words judgmental, hypocritical, they made the top 10. And actually, hypocrisy and church abuse were the two top behaviours that most likely to prevent non-Christians who are open to changing their belief from engaging with Christianity. So a bunch of them, not, not Christian, and yet open to changing belief, they said the top two things that will stop me engaging with Christianity church abuse, and hypocrisy. And can I just pause as an aside for a second and say, if you are someone who has been abused by someone in the church, can I just say that I'm really sorry. You've been failed by someone who is meant to be a herald of Christ to you. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to pray for you, support you in whatever way we can. And even one step further, if you've been abused by someone at City on a Hill, can I say, I'm really sorry. I just want to let you know, we we have an independent organisation that handles complaints. Uh, You can read about our policies uh, uh, on um, cityonahill.com.au slash safe ministry. I'll I'll post that link in the chat afterwards. How we live as Christians, it, it really does matter. Let's come back to 1 Peter again in verse 12. 1 Peter, Peter, he he gets this. He says, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are to live well. And Peter says that even when we live well, we might get accused of doing evil. Friends, we're to steer clear of evil, but even when we're trying to live well, we might get accused of doing evil. You know, Christians, they've been bagged out right from day one. The first Christians were often called atheists as an insult because they didn't believe in all the Roman gods. Um, you know, here's the first anti-Christian meme. It comes from the second century. I'll see if it'll, if it'll come up. Uh, let's see if that one will come up for us. Maybe not. Well, there's back in the second century. Um, there was so here we go, here we go, there we go. The first Christian meme, anti-Christian meme. How about that? Um, it says in Greek um, on the left. There's kind of the original, and that's sort of been polished a bit. It says Alexamenos sebatai Theon, which means Alexamenos. He's a, a Greek guy. He worships his god. And what's that saying? Well, this guy Alexamenos, this pathetic man. Look at him. He's worshipping. This guy up on a cross, like how pathetic. Like that's like saying, you know, I'm bowing out of someone in the electric chair. Like the cross was this kind of shameful symbol back in the first couple of centuries AD. Uh, you know, And this guy, he's worshipping, it's as if he's worshipping a donkey, you know, the head of an ass. Like what, a, what an idiot, what a loser. The historian Tacitus, uh, listen to what he writes about Christians. He says that Christians as a race were detested for their evil practices. Uh, He's writing in the first couple of centuries and at the same time Christians were also the ones who were radically caring for the poor, the orphans and the widows, the ones who started hospitals, schools, orphanages and even for the first 300 years Christianity was the only religion that wasn't connected to government. It wasn't connected to the state and yet it was through the witness, not by military conquest, uh, that the church grew from just a handful of people to over 6 million people by 300 AD. As Christians, we had to respect and give honour to everyone. And in particular, we're to give respect to authority. So we give honour to everyone, but in particular, there's a call here, check out verse 13. Be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Submit to every human institution. That's an exhaustive list. I and mean, That's both talking about government but also in the work and marketplace. Uh, why, why do we do that? Well, we do it for the Lord's sake. He is the one who has established authority. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says, verse 1 and 2, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Be subject to, literally put yourself under human authority. Why? Because God is the one with ultimate authority has put them there. To make his point clear, Peter, you know, he he underlines this. He emphasizes this. If you go back down to 1 Peter 2 verse 17, you know, his last words there, honour the emperor. Now, when Peter was writing this, do you know who the emperor was? It was Nero. Nero, the emperor of Rome. Nero, arguably the, the, the worst emperor, the, the one that was most anti-Christian. You know, historians suggest that Nero himself burnt down Rome. He burnt down his own capital city and then blamed Christians as a scapegoat so that Christians could be punished, executed. Uh, here's what one historian writes about how Nero treated Christians. He says, uh, a mockery of every sort was added to their death. They were covered with the skins of beasts. They were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Friends, that's Peter's emperor that he says we need to honour. How can you honour someone that is downright evil like that? Well, Peter will, will keep unpacking this theme throughout this letter, so stay tuned in the coming weeks. But we're going to see that it's better to suffer for doing good than to sin. If for us, compared to Nero, our leaders, you know, Scomo, Anastasia, like we've actually got it pretty easy. Heck, I'd, I'd even take I'd even take Putin over Nero. But notice, it's for the Lord's sake. We're to submit to authorities for Jesus. We're meant to look to Jesus. And if you look at Jesus' life, look at how he did this. Jesus, while he might not have agreed with authority, he honoured authority perfectly. Despite going through a sham of a trial, he didn't retaliate. He allowed the legal processes to unfold. Even on the cross, he prayed and forgave those who put him there. We're to honour our leaders. We're not very good at this as Australians. You now we've got tall poppy syndrome. We like to, to cut down those who are above us. And, you know, social media, the, the era of memes, everyone's got their own opinion. We can tear down our leaders without really any consequences. Church, what would it look like if we honoured our leaders, even those we disagreed with? How are you going at praying for your leaders? How are you going at respecting that office that God has instituted? How do you react when, you know, people, whether online or, or, you know, at at work, um, around the water cooler, you know, they're, they're having banter about a certain politician, that certain leader. And when that banter becomes more than just a little bit friendly, it becomes abusive, hostile, now, for us as Christians, that, that doesn't mean we have to agree to all of our leaders on every policy. But we might think that some laws are just dumb. But that doesn't mean we can just disobey. Uh, you know, like I know probably not many of us were driving this morning. Um, and, and if we are driving this weekend, we're probably not likely to speed. But, you know, um, when it's dry, sometimes the speed limit it just seems really slow, you know, especially when there's no cars in the road and it's dry. But, church, we're called to submit. Maybe uh, over the last couple of years you've thought differently about some of the laws and the mandates of coronavirus. That doesn't mean that you can just disagree because you don't like it or because it's inconvenient. Yes, there are occasions that I want to suggest that that Christians can disobey. This is called civil disobedience. And we actually see this in the Bible. We see uh, this last year in Exodus 1. Pharaoh, he issues a a decree uh, to kill all the baby boys uh, of God's people. And the midwives, they refuse and they're honored. Daniel, he's called to pray only to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Instead, he disobeys, he leaves his window right open and he prays to God. And Peter, who, who wrote this letter in 1 Peter, in Acts 5, we see the council leaders, they tell Peter and John, hey, stop preaching about Jesus. But you know what, Peter and John, they boldly say this, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. But we cannot but help but speak of what we've seen and heard. They're told to stop preaching Jesus. They just go right ahead and keep doing it. But all these instances of civil disobedience, they have one thing in common. God was clearly honoured above men. And so the the only time we can disobey authority, it's when we want to honour God first. It's when we're forbidden to do something that the Lord commands or we're commanded to do something that the Lord forbids. It's when we're told to go and sin or it would be sinful to go and do that. Sometimes, you know, maybe someone in in authority might go tell you to do something that's wrong, uh, to steal, to lie, to maybe fudge some numbers. Uh, to make an annual report look better, to pay less tax. You know, you don't do it. You don't do it. You, you don't submit to that authority at work because God has a higher authority. So how do we live in the world? Well, church, we're not meant to be a bomb shelter kind of hiding from the world, um, nor are we up on our high horses kind of casting down rocks in judgment on the world. But no, we're not meant to be a mirror that reflects the world. Church, we're, we're to be a city on the hill, shining the light of Jesus into every dark corner. We need to remember our identity, firstly. Secondly, we respect everyone, especially authority. Thirdly, and finally, we're to revere the true king. Uh, we see in this passage, who really is the authority? No prizes, it's gone. Uh, we're to give him reverence, we're to worship him, praise him, put him above everyone else, especially ourselves. Throughout this passage, we see God is placed at the top. Come again with to me, verse 12. Uh, Peter says, keep your conduct, conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God on the day of visitation. We live honorable lives so that God would get the glory. Keep reading verse 13. Be subject to, for the Lord's sake for every human institution. Or well, why keep reading um, down to verse 15. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you shall, not, you, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Again, keep reading verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, we've got a lot of freedom in Christ. Christianity is the only religion, the only worldview that says you don't have to do anything to get saved. It's all about what God has done. There's incredible freedom. But that freedom is not freedom to be a jerk. It's not freedom from constraints. It's freedom to flourish and, and freedom to live as God intended. You know, if I were to take a fish out of a fishbowl and place it on the side of the road, is that fish free for me to do whatever it's want? No, it's got a purpose. It's been made to swim uh, in that bowl, in the river. You know, some of us think that, you know, we're saved by grace. Um, At the end of the day, if I break a few laws here and there, uh, if I'm a bit lax on some things, does not really matter in the long run? You know, I'm forgiven. Friends, you're servants, Peter says, but it's the same word as slaves you're free, but you're also a slave of God. Check out verse 17. There's a hierarchy here. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We see this hierarchy. We honor everyone and the emperor, you know, notice they're on the same level. We're not talking idolize, elevate people, this beautiful picture of a quality of honor. But actually, in particular, we're to love the brotherhood. That's talking about the Christian family. In particular, we should be looking out for each other's needs. Uh, that's because the gospel, the message of Jesus says that because of Jesus, we become family. God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. We, as we look around at this Zoom room, we are brothers and sisters. And as family, we need to look out for each other. And I'm so encouraged um, hearing many stories of that happening in our church, in our gospel communities. And I was chatting with one of you a few weeks ago. Um, they were new to Australia. And, uh, and someone met this, this person at church and said, hey, do you need a car? And next week, he had a car. I'm thankful that, you know, that was Oprah at church that week. You know, everyone got a car. You got a car. You got a car. No, no. And this person gave a car to someone in need. You now, we, we moved house a few weeks ago and our gospel community helped out and, you know, it wasn't just moving boxes, though, that we are thankful that you move boxes. It was looking after our kids. It was organising our kitchen. It was putting together our bed. And right now, in particular, this weekend, after what we've been seeing with the weather, let's be looking out for each other. Who could you message today to see if they're doing okay? You know, we're going to have a chance after the end to kind of have some breakout rooms. Stick a lot, stick a stick, stick. Stick around if you can um, just to see how we are going as brothers and sisters. But above the brotherhood, you know, above Christian family, of course, we're to have God at the top. That's why Peter says, fear God. You know, in a time when many would have feared the emperor, and for good reason, we're called to fear God. What does that mean? Well, it means seeing God as the ultimate authority. Seeing him for who he really is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says in Proverbs. Having a right view of who God is, that should be our guiding principle for life. Jesus says in Matthew 10, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Under Emperor Nero, um, who Peter wrote, Actually, Emperor Nero, his regime ultimately killed Peter. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't want to go the same way as Jesus. You know, right now in in Ukraine, generals, uh, President Putin, they've got a fair bit of autonomy, fair bit of sway as to who lives and who dies. But ultimately, it's God who controls eternity. God can destroy both body and soul. And so we don't need to fear any human. I mean, what's the worst they can do? Kill us. Rather, we fear the one who's really in control. That means we obey when no one else is looking because God is always there. It means our lives should ultimately be about seeking his glory, not our own. And it means we should be people of prayer. So much of our life, as even this weekend tells us, is out of our control. But I'm thankful that we know the one who is. We also need to know that as we come to God in fear, he's also the one who saves us. He's the one who loves us, who rather send his own son to die than live without us. And because of Christ, we can come to God in perfect confidence, knowing that our debt has been paid, knowing our guilt has been ransomed, knowing that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of the Father. So how do we live in the world? Well, we need to remember the hierarchy of honour with God on top, loving the brotherhood, and then respecting authority. Remember, we are sojourners, we're campers, we're just here for a while, we're on the journey, on the pilgrimage to heaven. We respect authority, all humanity, but in particular, our leaders, even those we disagree with, and we revere the true king, God. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you've shown us who you are through your word. Thank you that you've given us Jesus, who is our savior, who is our only way of approaching you. But thank you that he's also our example. He shows us what it means to be not of the world, but in the world. Uh, Lord, I pray that this week, we will remember our identity as strangers, as aliens, as sojourners just passing through this world. May we loosen our grip on the things and the comforts of this life. And Lord, may we respect authority, even when that's difficult. Uh, Help us to wrestle with what that looks like practically uh, in the day-to-day. And may we have a respect for all people because they are all image bearers of you. And may our lives uh, be living in such a way that people notice and give glory, not to us, but to you. And Lord, finally, help us to revere you as the true king, the true authority that is above all authority. And in Jesus' precious name, all of God's people said, on mute, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.